Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the 11th Sunday after Trinity, August 15th, 2021, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read our Old Testament lesson for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 18. can be found in your pew Bible on page 369 if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 18. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Your words are truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in that truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Seminary presents an interesting conundrum for the world around us. If you look at the church in America... Regardless of denomination, there is a common belief that seminary is entirely unnecessary to put a pastor in charge of a church to preach and lead that congregation. You will find that attitude across denominations and from coast to coast. On the other hand, you will find those involved with seminary who will complain that seminary isn't adequate enough to train pastors for the ministry. There's no real middle ground. You lose on the one side of the horse and you lose on the other side of the horse. But when you think about people who have gone through seminary, you think about ordained pastors and seminary students, the whole purpose of it is to, in fact, train pastors. Now, some of this training involves biblical interpretation, where we learn to craft sermons and to teach Bible studies. Some of this training involves practical exercise. So we learn the ins and outs of conducting funerals, and weddings, among other things. But where the problem comes is that some of the training involves theory. And this is where you hit all sorts of bumps in the road. 
If you've ever spent any amount of time researching opinions about the effectiveness of seminaries, and my guess is that you haven't, but if you have spent any amount of time doing that, there is a large swath of books, an entire genre, in fact, of pastors who are upset with their seminary training because they weren't prepared for each and every circumstance that they encountered in real life. That sounds a little weird, and it is. But think about this. I've been pastor here at Faith now for over 10 years. I had my very first, they didn't teach me that in seminary moment, on day two in the office. It took all of about 10 total hours on the job for me to hit something that I was wholly unprepared to react to in seminary. And that's because everything is super unique in the world. We have individual people under our care. We have differences in culture and everything else. And you can't possibly prepare for that. I remember sitting in class in seminary and hearing my profs talk about experiences they had in the parish. Many of those experiences were absolutely hilarious. Some of those were amazing and some of them were quite tragic. But I remember sitting in class thinking, this is all well and good, but I seriously doubt anything's going to happen to me like that in that way. And that's the problem. So you can imagine that for me today, I was quite excited when I looked at this Old Testament lesson and I realized that I could take something I learned from seminary, lift it right out of my notes, and drop it right onto the sermon structure, word for word. It's a paradigm that I was given by one of my seminary profs. And it's quite a simple thing, actually. So when we look back at Joshua 24, and we consider what it means to fear him, and to serve God, and to choose God, it all comes down to this. We must, we can't, and we do. And I'm stealing that directly from Pastor Haugen. So, from here on out, you have my permission to blame him for the sermon. Okay? From, that's all I'm going to say. All right, so Joshua 24. We must first choose the Lord. We must choose the Lord. Now think about how foreign that sounds to our ears. Part of the problem with American Christianity is when we talk about the language of decision and we talk about the language of choosing, we immediately program our brains to think that we're doing so as one among many options. And really, that's the way American spirituality works as a whole. You will run into person after person after person outside the walls of this church who thinks that Christianity is one option, is Islam is another option, and Buddhism is another option still, and then you have Hinduism and, and atheism and everything in between. And in fact, you'll find people in the church who think that, you'll find people outside of the church who think that, and you'll even find people who think 
think you can take the best parts of everything, mash it up all together, and put it into our lives because it works for me. And so when we talk about choosing the Lord, we think we have an option. We think there's a possibility that something else might work for us. But when we are told here by Joshua, choose this day whom you will serve, the choosing works a little bit more like Indiana Jones. If you've ever seen the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, the entire movie is about finding the Holy Grail. And you get to the point at the end of the week, I don't care about spoiler alerts, this movie's like 30 years old, okay? So you get to the end of the movie and they discover this room where there is this hundreds of year old knight defending several grails, several chalices that may or may not be the Holy Grail. And the bad guys have accompanied Indiana Jones into this room and so the knight tells them to choose. And the bad guy chooses the most ornate and beautiful chalice, and he immediately melts into nothing. Indiana Jones considers carefully what he must do, and he picks this dusty, old, insignificant chalice, and he drinks. And the knight says, you have chosen wisely. See, the problem with treating Christianity as one among many options is that if we choose poorly, we die. And we die for all eternity. The other problem with considering Christianity as one option among many is that the word choose is a command, it's an imperative. It's an instruction. And in fact, every other verb in verses 14 and 15 is a command. Serve, choose, fear, they're all commands. They're not suggestions, they're not options, they're instructions. And what God is doing before his people, through Joshua, is that he is re-establishing the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. The commandment is explained this way in the small catechism. We should fear, love, and trust God above all things. So here's the situation we must choose the Lord. We must fear Him. We must serve Him. To do otherwise is to commit the sin that is above all other sins. Idolatry. Joshua also establishes this reality for us. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And then again later, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Now Joshua is telling this 
to the people of Israel, God's chosen children. These people, at least one generation prior to these people, have come through the Exodus. They walked through the the Red Sea on dry land. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, miraculously every morning except the Sabbath, receiving manna from heaven, and none of their clothes and none of their shoes wore out. And they've just, on top of all of that, conquered the promised land. And still, still, idolatry is a very real struggle for them. Joshua says to them, put away the gods. After all of that, after all of their recent history, the Israelites are still hedging their bets. You know, the gods of the Egyptians were completely wiped out by the ten plagues, but they might, just might be an option. You know, we completely and utterly destroyed the Amorites and the Hittites and the Amalekites who were dwelling in this land, but their gods might still provide us with some benefit. And you know what? 3,000 years later, nothing has changed for the people of God. We should fear love and trust God above all things. But you know what? If I just had a little bit more money, I could be content. If I was assured of my health and the health of my loved ones, I could go through life in peace. All I need is that promotion and I will be satisfied. Everything for us comes down to idolatry when we indulge our sinful nature. And this is why, while we must choose the Lord, we can't choose the Lord. When Joshua makes his appeal to choose the Lord, nothing out of the ordinary happens. The people of Israel go right along with the program and continue to do just that, to choose the Lord. They say themselves, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. That's normal, standard stuff. We would expect the Israelites to respond this way. In fact, if I made the same appeal to you, and in fact, I've seen this done with this very passage, The pastor I listened to preached this pastor and he left the appeal before the people. Choose this day whom you will serve. And then he used those verses and the congregation confessed back to him their choosing of the Lord. If I did that right here and right now, I would expect each and every one of you to do that willingly. 
wouldn't shock me one bit. But where things go sideways is when you get to the rest of the story. When we go beyond the verses of our Old Testament lesson to find out what Joshua says in response to this. Continuing on in Joshua 24, Joshua responds to this oath by telling the people, as their leader, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. Whoa, that's really harsh. You think Joshua might be going just a little bit overboard with that? But the people double down. No, but we will serve the Lord. And so Joshua basically responds to them, okay, prove it. You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And again, after 3,000 years, we know what happened. The Israelites did not serve the Lord. They fell into idolatry time and time again. In fact, the very next book of the Bible, the book of Judges, is an endless cycle of the people choosing the Lord, falling into apostasy, abandoning the Lord, and then being subjected to one enemy after another enemy after another enemy. And then you get into the times of the kings, and the people abandon the Lord altogether. And for 3,000 years, the church and the people of God have followed the exact same pattern. The problem with the command not to sin, the problem with the command to obey the Lord is that not only are we sinners, we actually commit sins, but we are also sinful. We are bent toward committing sins. It's in our DNA. It's what we're wired to do ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. And this reality, what we call original sin, is one of the big controversies in the Christian church throughout history. For many Christians and Christian denominations, they believe and confess that when God gives a command, he also gives us the ability to obey that command. In other words, ought implies can. If God says you ought to do this, it also comes with the notion that you can do this. But that isn't the case. And I can prove it to you by one verse in Scripture. That's all I need. Leviticus 19.2 You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's an impossible standard. That standard right there is absolute, total perfection. We are never, ever going to be as holy as God himself is holy. We are, in fact, unable to fulfill what God commands. We always will come up short. We will always, without exception, fall into our own idolatry. Where does that leave us? 
Where does that leave us with a prophet of the Lord in Scripture by the Holy Spirit saying, choose the Lord, fear the Lord, serve the Lord? Can we really walk away from this passage with a big, gigantic, cosmic, uh uh-oh? Can we stand here in our fear and our failure and go, aw shucks? There's a gospel reality behind what's going on here in Joshua 24. In our efforts to choose the Lord, and who among us hasn't been in some grandmother's kitchen or living room where we've seen this placard on the wall? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Been there, right? That was on the wall of my grandma's kitchen. I can see it right now. The flowers around the border, the very ornate script, the little Bible verse reference at the bottom, we know what I'm talking about. And our sincerity to serve God in all that we do, we're still going to come up short. We will still find ourselves in need of God's grace and mercy. And that's why the reality of the gospel is so crucial to understanding Joshua 24 and the rest of Scripture for that matter. In his command for us to choose him and serve him and fear him, It is in this reality that God reveals to us that He has chosen us, that He has served us. And that's the entire point of the gospel. God has chosen you in Christ to be His child, and He has done so from the beginning of time. God has served you and continues to do so each and every Sunday with his gifts during this divine service. The whole terminology of the divine or the worship service fits that reality. When we attend a worship service, we come thinking we're the ones who are doing something for God. We're praising God. We're worshiping God. We're committing ourselves to God. But the point of the service is that God is doing the serving. God is here right now serving you with his gifts, delivering them to you. God choosing and serving us when we can't choose and serve him is the exact fulfillment of the gospel. Jesus perfectly obeys God's law when we can't do it ourselves. And for us, God turns that command on its head. At the cross, because of the empty tomb, God chose you. He chose to save you. He chose to forgive you. He chose to punish Christ for your sins instead of you, and he chose to adopt you as his child. What's more, when we are commanded to choose and serve the Lord, that command comes with the reality that God is worthy to choose. He is worthy 
to serve. But when God chooses us, and when God serves us continually with his gifts, it's not because we are worthy. It's not because we've earned it or deserve it. It's all because he has chosen to do so out of his grace and mercy. And all this goodness and all this grace amounts to one last reality for us. We do choose the Lord. At the end of it all, we do serve him. We do fear him. It's the outcome of our faith. It's the outcome of the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives through God's word. We do choose the Lord because the Holy Spirit changes us. And the Holy Spirit completes us. And the Holy Spirit applies Christ's perfect obedience to us as own. We are pulled here every Sunday by the words of the absolution. We are fed here every service by God's word and the sacraments. We could be anywhere else right now, and sometimes, sinfully, we are. But regularly, God draws us as his new creations to his gifts where he delivers to us the assurance of our salvation. And it is in that assurance that we do serve the Lord. This is where your vocations come into play. You don't serve the Lord in your earnest commitment to serve him, although you should earnestly commit to serving the Lord. You don't serve the Lord by what you promise to do in word and in song during the service. You serve the Lord as you love your neighbor. You serve the Lord through your good works towards the people God has placed in your life to love on a daily basis. You serve the Lord. Period. It's reality. It's truth. And we know this because this is also how God serves us through our neighbors to provide every daily need we have. In the end, God gives to us what he commands from us. We fear, love, and trust God because of Christ as his spirit works faith in our lives. We do choose him. We do fear him. We do serve him. And we do this because we are served by him, we are chosen by him, and we are fed by him. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.